This episode is brought to you by Dragons of Dusk and Dawn, a new novel by Aussie author Simon Higgins. Dragons of Dusk and Dawn is a thought-provoking, epic adventure, the exciting story of a remarkable turning point in history that could actually have happened. The TV show Vikings meets Art of War in this action-packed, non-stop adventure. Check it out now at undoredopress.com. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm Danny V, podcast host and children's author. I also do some work in publishing in acquisitions and publicity. As we hurdle towards one million plays, we'll continue to provide you with the conversational, vulnerable, honest and fun chats with your favourite authors across all genres. Check out our takeover episodes, usually released on a Friday, and our spin-offs released during the month. Thank you for being here, being part of the journey and supporting Aussie creatives. Uh, welcome back to Four Critics and Four Continents, where we discuss the favourite 2023 crime reads from around the world from our Four Critics. This is going to be available on Facebook now as a live video and also as a podcast episode as soon as I upload it, which will also be today. It's 8am here in Sydney, but we have people from right around the world, which is very, very cool. Um, Danny V, I'm the host, crime fiction lover, Ned Kellyan, Nio Marshall Awards judge and children's author. But I'd like to welcome the panel, most importantly, Craig Sisterson. Give us a wave. Author of Southern Cross Crime, you are a features writer and crime fiction expert from New Zealand who writes for newspapers and magazines in several countries. You've been a judge, Ned Kelly Awards, and founder of the Nio Marsh Awards and co-founder of the Rotorua Noir. Welcome, Craig. Beautiful Santa hat you've got there this morning. Well, this morning for me. Yeah, Where are you streaming in from, Craig? Oh, I'm streaming in from London. Sadly, I'm not on the plane to uh, New Zealand with my daughter, who's just got on the plane uh, 10 minutes ago Ooh. and uh, to Auckland, so the long 24-hour flight to visit the grandparents. But no, I'm, I'm marooned in London this Christmas. <laughs> Fantastic. And another return guest, Sonia Vander Westhazen, a reviewer from print and online publications with a strong preference for translated fiction. You are a regular contributor on crime fiction lover Naya Marsh Awards judge, judge, and you're coming to us from South Africa. Welcome back again. Lovely to see you. Thank you, Danny. It's it's quite late over here, so if you'll excuse me if I'm a bit slow, but I'll try to keep <laughs> up with you guys. And it's early, so I've got that excuse as well on a Saturday <laughs> morning. <laughs> and welcome back, Io Onatade. You are a CWA Red Herring Award-winning freelance commentator, panel moderator on all things crime fiction related. You're a judge for the Ian Fleming Still Dagger and Noah Marsh Awards and chair of the HWA, that's a Historical Writers Association, debut crown judging panel. And I believe you're coming to us from? Kent. In the UK. Lovely. <laughs> and what time is it over there? It is just come 11 minutes past nine. So it's oh, not, too not too bad. You may have the best time zone. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a new person on the panel. I was pretty excited when Craig talked to me about having S.A. Cosby, Sean Cosby on, on the panel. An Anthony Award-winning writer, you are author of the New York Times bestseller Razorblade Tears and Blacktop Wasteland, which won the Los Angeles Times Book Prize, was a New York Times notable book, and was named the best book of the year by NPR, The Guardian, and Library Journal. You're coming to us from the USA, I believe. Yes, I'm coming from the former colony of Virginia, and it's about 4 p.m. in the afternoon here, and I just got back uh, from North Carolina after doing a live reading there. So I was able to just get in under the wire uh, despite some login issues. So I'm happy. No worries. Not a Zoom meeting if you don't have login. Now, I just need to say before we get started, Blacktop Wasteland, I'm not really into cars, but Sean, you never made car chases, races so sexy. I've never seen cars be so sexy in my life. So I just wanted to thank you for that. Thank you very much. But I appreciate that. <laughs> In all seriousness, Blacktop Wasteland, Craig put me onto it. It was one of my favourite reads. So very excited to have you oh. here. Well, thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. And it's, it's great to share this with so many great uh, 
reviewers and authors in their own right. So thank you guys for having me. And, and I'm my saying, cat says little hi. cat, yeah, little cat in the back, a little special <laughs> guest. <laughs> well, we're going to crack on. This always goes at a cracking pace because we want to talk about as many books as we possibly can. So we're going to do our first round robin of your favorite books, but I also want you to tell me what trends you've seen in 2023 and then you crack on to your first book that you're going to talk about. We're going to try and do as many rounds as we can. But um, we will finish up in around about an hour for those watching or listening. Craig, let me start with you. Trends in your first book. Oh, I usually go last. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm just going to mix it up, keep you all on your toes. <laughs> okay. Oh, I think that's completely blown what I thought was going to happen because she knew the book she was going to snake me on and then Sean <laughs> was going to snake me on another one. So I was going to immediately be mm. down my list. I'll mix <laughs> it up not, every time. Now, don't worry. I'm, not, now I'm not going to quite sure what to do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've anyway, never seen trends, you lost for words, Craig. Yeah. <laughs> trends is, yeah. Well, okay. I think there's been a continuation just of the growth and diversity of crime fiction, I would say. I tend to read from all around the world because I write for magazines and newspapers in different countries. And, um, you know, there's just great crime fiction coming out. We're seeing fresh new voices, we're seeing some more Indigenous writers not just from the US but you know Maori writers from New Zealand hopefully some more Aboriginal writers from Australia some great South African crime we're seeing more translated Japanese crime fiction coming through lots of great kind of female authors lots of great black authors from the states and elsewhere the likes of Femi Coyote who's kind of Namibian based sets his books in Nigeria so there's a lot of um you know we're seeing the same Khan's taking over the chairmanship of the CWA, the first writer of colour to be chair that august institution that's been around for decades, you know, so I think we're seeing just the the trend is the ongoing trend of the genre broadening, welcoming welcoming in fresh and exciting new voices. Uh, One weird trend I noticed when I was doing my favourites this year, and I don't think this is a trend, I just think it's a blip, is actually... There was a lot of male authors in my favourites this year. It's normally a little bit more 50-50. So I think a lot of the boys mm. during COVID got off their ass and started writing. And there's, like a, there's a little blip. Like, there's a little kind of post-COVID lockdown blip where there's a lot of the male authors Interesting. Like, had time on their hands and stuff like that. So you've got um, the advantage like, now, Craig. So what's your first book? you got the full advantage of going first this round. Um, oh, dear. Fuck it. Should we just do it straight up, Io? Oh, God! I'm gonna, go on, then. Okay. We, we can't not do it just because he's on the panel. So. <laughs> no, I know. I, mean, I, I know. I, oh, I, I was going to do this first if I didn't. So so we'll say, um, <laughs> All the Sinners Bleed by a certain um, S.A. Crosby, <laughs> relatively unknown author from the east coast of america no one's heard of him he hasn't won 30 awards or something mm. in the last two years or anything like that but no as as you guys know i love blacktop wasteland and i love mm. razor blade tears this may be even better yeah, how the fuck you've done it mate but it may be even better <laughs> so it's about a black ex-fbi agent called titus crown who becomes the first black sheriff of his home town kind of a small community in the american south and it's, it's a relatively peaceful community. There haven't been many murders, you know, only a couple of murders for years or a couple of decades. And then there's a school shooting. The police gun down the suspect um, kind of under under Titus's, you know, hit the cops who are under his kind of control. Or, um, and so that kind of rips the Pandora's box off just some festering secrets in the community. And there's a whole lot of nastiness going on. There's kind of far right groups trying to promote the Confederate history of the town Titus is trying to deal with the school shooting, with the shooting of a suspect by his cops, and then all these other secrets that's been found out. And it's just this explosive Southern Gothic read that's multi-layered and nuanced. And somehow Sean has written just three, and really four, if you go back to his first book as well, My Darkest Prayer, but just four outstanding standalones in a row. And this one is in a knife fight with a handful of other books that will probably get talked about today for my best of the year. So let's start off with a bang. And I've got my new read now. So follow Sorry, Sean, I didn't think I was going to have to do that. I assumed I was going to do it. 
it's, 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 I didn't expect that, but I appreciate it very much. And uh, let's uh, let's make that the last time somebody talks about me because we got some other books here. So oh, well, I, I don't think we can guarantee that. <laughs> no, 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 no. We, we can't because as, as as Craig had said, if he hadn't said it, I would have because been and I'd already got it down on my list. You know, I did something earlier this year for the um, Prime Time podcast. And it was there. It was my on my list already. So it's not saying anything that I would have said. And it's not because you're 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 on here this evening. Well, we will head to you next, Io. I just wanted to give a shout out to the people who are watching from home. We've got uh, finally found the live stream. Glad you're with us and stellar lineup. So a few people watching wherever they are around the world. So that's pretty cool, and that will keep uh, keep lifting. I think throughout the the live stream. Io, second up. Sorry to steal your thunder. What's your first book? Well, um, can I go back to what you were asking a little bit about trends? Yes, For me, please. Yeah, I think the trends have been this thing about um, slightly more cosy crime mm. and older people involved in crime. I think Richard Osmond. Mm. Um, Love that. And even the new Ted Gerritsen that's come out, her protagonist is actually much an older, older person. So I think is that, that, that people are not saying they're ignoring the kind of like the police procedures, but they're tending to look more on the slightly more cosier crime coming out. Hmm, love that. Yeah. But my book, I am going to suggest, and I'm sorry, and then I'm going to embarrass Sean again. He put me on to Jordan Harper. <laughs> so it's everyone knows by Jordan Harper. And Craig is going to be smiling because I'm sure that was on his list as well. But <laughs> for me, it was a really unsettling book, but very energetic. And it came across to me for a mixture of um, James Elroy and, um, and um, James M. Kane. It's one of those books that will make you think. It's one of those books that talks about Hollywood and the sleaze. And there's a major element of noir in it, which basically just grabbed me from the start. So if you haven't read any of Jordan Harper's books, and this is his second one, please do, because it's absolutely wonderful. Great. Love that. Thank you, Io. And Sonia. I was was thinking if I went last, Io was going to do Sean's book and Sean was going to do Jordan's book. (laughs) This is a bit of a bingo already. I'd actually actually already starred them on my listing to talk about them. It's a bit of a bingo. We always do this. So every year there's a bingo, which is good, which really strengthens, you know, your choices of books. Sonia, can I head to you for trends and your first book? Uh, it's strange. Craig mentioned now that most of the people that he read were male authors. Mine were mostly female authors. Fantastic. So I, I can trump him on that one. Um, <laughs> the the trends that I noticed was this year, especially um, type of closed circle mysteries and lots of things set on islands, retreats, mm-hmm. on a, in a mansion, on a mountain, in a cabin, okay. doing some side of kind of storm or whatever. So there was a lot of that. I don't know if I just noticed it and if it was really a trend. Mm, it's interesting. Um, and then I also noticed quite a lot of more, more um, books on true crime podcasters, especially. So there were quite a few of those. So it's, yeah. And also a bit of gothic crime mysteries like Daphne du Maurier type stories. Um, so yeah, that was what I noticed. And Lovely. also a lot of strong female protagonists, um, but maybe that's just the books I read. I don't know. <laughs> Depends. So, yeah. Um, my first one, and I'm so glad no one has this already, and because um, I actually thought someone might, and it's this one um, from Dennis Ooh. Mahane. Um, <laughs> Sounds like a bingo. Do we have a bingo? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's one of my, mine on my list this year as well. <laughs> this, this this was my top read of the year. Um, I honestly, after Mystic River, I didn't think <laughs> it's a triple bingo. He could do it again, and it was just um, this is. I think this is Emily's best, um, and it's set in Boston in 1974 during a heat wave um, and the desegregation of local public schools, um, when high school students from low income black areas were bused into poor white neighborhoods and vice versa. So. The goal was to improve the education system, but um, in the end, it obviously backed, backfired ridiculously and the city erupted with protests and um, racial violence. 
but what he really does well is create this character that's utterly despicably racist um Mary Pat Fennessy, who lives in Southie, which is a housing project in Boston, um, where the Irish immigrants live. So uh, she's she's a truly unlikable character, but he just has the ability to find the littlest bit of humanity in this person. And I think that's what makes him an incredible writer. Um, she's she's a person that's struggling um but uh, she's been married twice her son died from a drug overdose so there's also also focus on the opioid crisis in america um and then there's an incident which feels more violence and hate so he just grabs you throughout this whole book and honestly you can't put it down and it's you'll be so enraged and angry with with this injustice that He's, he's writing about but but it's also so tragic and and sad at the same time but that's exactly what a good writer should do i mean mm -hmm. he should be evoking emotion from you and yes. it's a book that will stay for, with you for long afterwards and it's not comfortable reading but i mean it's it's essential reading that everyone should it's a, the kind of book that everyone should read mm -hmm. um so I, if there's one book that you should read this year or should have read this year, that's it for me. Yeah, um, well, it's yeah, a triple bingo if... too, so I'm convinced. <laughs> uh, as someone watching at home, Krista has said, and this is what I've seen as well, um, a trend of crime novels with humour. So Benjamin Stevenson, Janice Hallett, Rupert Holmes, Osman, I'm going to add Jack Heath and Gabe Bergmoser to there. So trends with crime with humour, which I'm loving at the moment. So that's another little trend that people are looking at at home. Now we're going to head to Sean, our very special guest, first time on the panel. Uh, what trends have you seen, Sean, and what is your first book? Yeah, so here in the States, the trend that I've noticed, and I'm happy about it because I'm a rural noir writer, is sort of the emergence of a new Southern uh, uh, literary moment. Uh, you've got people like Laura McHugh. Uh, you've got people like I'm going to mention uh, on my list later, Michael Ferris Smith, and and folks. This sort of reemergence of the Southern rural story um, through a noir prism that I think allows us to talk about a lot of things uh, that are inherently uh, complicated in the South as a Southerner. And so, uh, my first book, actually. All three of you guys stole my first books because I had Small <laughs> Mercy. I, I have and, a horrible uh, suspicion. But not you. To, not you, Craig. No, no, I have a horrible suspicion you're about to steal my next one. So that's a four bingo. I think I know which one as well. <laughs> well I, I, and I don't have a copy of it because I lent it out because I love it so much. Is Ozark Dogs by Oh, Black God Black. damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is oh, great. This is why we said prepare lots of books because they all get stolen. <laughs> it is a modern uh, interpretation of the Hatfields and McCoy feud, which is a famous feud in American history in the Appalachian uh, region of America, but uh, told through a very raw and emotional uh, uh, window. Uh, and Eli Craner is probably the writer that I think is on the emergence the most in America. Um, I think he is somebody poised to really break out in the next couple of years. The thing that I love about his books is he's a white man in the South writing from a position of a white man trying to understand the way the South is changing, the way rural communities are changing through a, a slightly progressive point of view. And I love his honesty and his courage in tackling that sort of issue. But that doesn't lessen the intensity and the thrills and the violence in his work. And I think he has a really unique understanding of the people in the region he writes about. Now, I know that sounds sort of pedantic. I mean, you should have an understanding if you're going to write about people. But there's something intrinsically unique about a writer from the South writing about people from the South. Um, I, and I think he does that just about as good as anybody is working today. So if you haven't read his his previous novels, Don't Know Tough, again, a really strong indictment and examination of Southern culture, Southern white male culture, uh, tragic and toxic masculinity. And this is sort of just in a continuation of that. Uh, and I think, like I said, he's probably the best 
a new writer that I've I've, I've uh, run across in the last few years. Wow, that's great, and that's also a bingo. So another one. I love this. Well, it adds was... to my summer reading list. Oh, <laughs> I knew I knew it was going to be bad tonight. I didn't expect four of my top choices to go in the Well, you've got to dig I deep, thought... Craig. You know, it's good though because then we get we cover more books. Yeah, so uh, I think that's good. really good. I, I yeah. kind of thought Sonia might have thrown something random in, so like <laughs> to use the Lahane that I know. I know Sean had the uh, Lahane on his list as well because I've seen him <laughs> rave about it. All, yeah, so, all right. Uh, um, Drew at home. Oh, you're not going first again, Craig. You don't get oh, to go first all the time. No, oh, God, we're going to mix right. this <laughs> up. Otherwise, you get the advantage every time. Uh, Drew at yeah. home says that as they read most cozies, they're seeing more risk-taking in storytelling, which I like that as well. We're going to head over to Io now, and you're going to get first crack at round two. So Right, okay. And Craig is going to hate me for this one most likely, but I'm going for the Mick Aaron. hours. Oh, okay. <laughs> Because if you've read his Now Horses series, you'll appreciate what a really brilliant spy writer he is. And this is kind of like a prequelish to the series because he does introduce a couple of new a couple of the characters in his series. However, this is about um, Berlin government, the way in which the government um, behaves rather underhand, but he doesn't stray from all the stuff that's going on, but there's also that sneaky, dark, snarky humour in this book. And I think Mick is one of the best spy thriller writers around at the moment. Mm. And with The the Secret Hours, it's a standalone. Well, it's supposed to be a standalone. I hope it's um, he's going to continue to write. Well, I know he's continuing to write the Slough Houses series. Whether this is going to become another series, I don't know. But the only thing I am going to say is that if you have not read this book or have not read any of the Slough House series, please go and pick them up because they're absolutely stunningly good. And he leaves you with this um, view of government and the way in which the government manipulates people, literally shaking your head, but with humour and thinking, wow. And one of the things I always wonder about is where does he get his information from? He's got to be a spy on the wall. He's got to be a fly on the wall because he's just so spot on. A spy on the say, wall. Yeah. And I would say if you ever get the chance to hear him talk, please go and do so. He's very unassuming, but he's got a brilliant sense of humour and it just comes sailing through all his books. Mm. So my second book is The Secret Hours by Mick Heron. I love the way you all talk about these books so passionately. It makes me want to read them all. <laughs> uh, Sonia, we're going to head over to you now, round two. Uh, I don't think this one will be in, on anyone's list, but we never know. Um, it's Tiffany McDaniel um, on the Savage side. Okay. Um, so she became well known for Betty, which was a, a previous book. I didn't read it, but apparently it's it's quite good. Um, this is also based on real events. So around uh, 2014, 2015, six women disappeared in Ohio and um, their bodies were never found. The killer was never found. So this is based on, on that, on these women. Um, it kind of reminds me of um, Ivy Pakoda's These Women because it's also about the victims of, of crimes. Um, it's not a typical procedural crime thriller, but it chronicles the lives of two sisters who grow up with a mother who's a drug addict. Um, so it's told from their perspective. So it's it's really gut-wrenching and it's extremely difficult to read, um, but it's so brutal and visceral and you can't stop reading it. But um, there's a there's a kind of an innocence to the the way they are telling the story of their mother and then eventually they grow up and they live in this town. And obviously history repeats itself because they also become drug addicts and they have no other option but to continue this life. But then um, in the town, there are women being murdered. Um, so that's where the reference is to the real event. So um, the sad thing about this is that these women just... They, the murders don't get the attention that it should because they are either drug addicts or they are prostitutes. So they are treated as just disposable people. Um, and 
this is something which is relevant, I think, across the world and quite an important thing that that's come to this to the fore in, in many books over the past year or so. Mm. Giving the victims the voice instead of the killer or whoever. Yeah, so um, it's a it's a, absolutely this this book if if it should have a trigger warning and it's it's the warning should be it will break your heart completely because <laughs> it's it's bold it's tragic but it's it's an incredible story and it's so beautifully written you you just can't stop reading it even mm. if you know the ending's going to be horrible but it's just incredible book so i highly recommend this one definitely I love that. And I love, A, you know, hearing victim side, that's so important. And also, you know, I love how crime and crime, I think that's why it resonates with so many people because it does always reflect mm. what's going on in current society. So I think that's really, and I love exactly. the trigger warning, going to break your heart. No, Makes me no, want to read it, strangely. Um, <laughs> Sean, can we head over to you for round two? Yeah, so I, I don't think anybody will have this one on the list, but I uh, came to this book uh, earlier this, this, this summer, I was at the Brooklyn Book Festival, and I met the author, and we got to talking, uh, Andrea Bartz, and my second book is called The Spare Room. Uh, it's a wonderfully uh, sensual uh, sort of uh, adventure that also incorporates a lot of what I love about cozy mystery and crime stories. Uh, it is a closed circle mystery. It's uh, basically, it's the story of a young lady who uh, is dumped by her fiance, and she is talking to one of her old college friends, and the friend offers her to come stay with her and her husband uh, for a while to get away from uh, this terrible uh, romantic entanglement that she finds herself in. So she goes all the way across the country to a small Virginia state where she starts uh decides to stay with her friend and her husband, and they open her mind and her life up to a new world of uh, sensuality and eroticism but she finds out that previous guests on this estate have mysteriously gone missing and so there's a mystery running parallel to this character's sexual awakening and i thought it was such a i love books that take chances i love books that are fearless and andrea bart's uh, uh writing in this in this book is fearless and i also love a book that examines sensuality away from the male gaze uh, mm -hmm. and examines sexuality away from the male gaze. And so a lot of times you read books that are purported to be erotic or sensual, and it's really a, a man's interpretation of what those words mean. And this is really a book that sort of marries the the erotic and 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 with the sort of emotional, because it's not just the physical exploration that this character is going on, but also she's deciding who she is as a person, both sexually, emotionally, personally. And so there's this great mystery. There's this great uh, uh, psychological uh, awakening. And also the writing is just so beautiful and sumptuous. So uh, The Spare Room by Andrea Bartz is my number two pick. Mm, sensual and sumptuous. How can you resist those words for that book? <laughs> I love that. Thank you. And the female experience of, of sexuality and sensuality, again, so important because it's something that hasn't been you know, written about a lot in past times. Craig, hit us with round two. I'm sorry you were last this time. No, 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 that's, that's fair enough. I was actually expecting to be last every round. <laughs> so that's fine. I'm just looking at the pile here going, what next, what next? There's some really good ones. I, I should probably clarify from what uh, Sonia said before. I, I, when I said the trend, it was just noticeable to me that I'd read more male authors than female authors this year, which was the reverse of the past few years. Still read lots of female authors, and I'm looking at different ones here that are all great. But I'm actually I'm actually going to highlight this one because I'm not sure if anyone else will, and I think it's an outstanding book. It's called Killing Ooh. Jericho by William Hussey. <laughs> That's William Hussey. And, um, it, it's technically a, his adult crime fiction debut, but William is a, a gay man who's written a lot of YA and he's written across genres. He's written kind of fantasy, uh, romance, uh, gay romance, LGBT plus romance, and fantasy, speculative fiction, thrillers and stuff. And this is an adult thriller. Um, and quite often in crime fiction, I, th I think when we read widely, we're looking for things that are different. But for me, I sometimes find you can kind of tell when someone's trying to be different, like they've almost just made a checklist of how can I be different to everyone else. And it doesn't feel authentic. This is a book, like when you're reading Sean or others, where it, it feels incredibly authentic, as well as being a fresh voice or a fresh perspective. 
And so um, William, the author, is a gay man who grew up in what they call the traveller community here in the UK. He grew up as part of the fairground community. Sometimes people, there's different groups of travellers, but he was part of the travelling fairground community that would go around to different towns. And he grew up in that. And so the protagonist, the hero, is a, a traveller who's an ex-con and an ex-cop and a drug addict, and a gay man, and all of that becomes very apparent in the first couple of pages. He's not shy about that at all, as he kicks a young man out of his, be out of his bed in his trailer in the fairground and stuff like that. <laughs> and but, but William just, he tells such a great story. He's got this unique character, but it, it never feels forced. It feels incredibly authentic and coming from a place where William's obviously experienced himself. Not, not the going to prison thing, because um, the interesting thing was, I guess a little bit like Patrick Jane and the Mentalist, for those who watched that show, is that Scott Jericho, the main character, developed these amazing observation skills just from growing up in this community and working in the fairground and noticing things about people all the time. So he became a cop, but then he beat up an arsonist who may have killed some kids during an interview and got thrown in jail, so he's now an ex-con. He's come out of jail, but he gets pulled into a case that ends up tying in to traveler folklore and things that happened a hundred years ago in the traveler community. That's kind of a myth or legend or folktale among the traveler community, but it's hitting really close to home. And it's just a brilliant book. It's like vividly written. It soaks you into the behind the scenes of the traveler community. Community. It feels incredibly authentic. It doesn't feel like he's just laid that on top to be a little different, which sometimes you feel with other authors, unfortunately, that like they're trying too hard to be different. It just feels like rich and deep and fresh and different enough. And it's just an outstanding book. Well, and I'd, I'd recommend it to anyone. Killing Jericho by William Hussey. The good news is apparently it's going to kickstart a series and he's working on the second. I love the cover too. The fantastic <laughs> cover that you were holding up. All right. Now round three. This is fantastic because we are getting through these very quickly and increasing everybody's reading list for over the summer or winter, wherever you are. We, I said summer before, but I know we're all around the world here. People are going, what are you talking about summer in winter, <laughs> summer in Christmas? <laughs> so Sonia, can I head over to you for round three of the best crime novels for 2023? Okay. Uh, my third one, I don't have a copy of because I got an ebook um, from the publisher. So it's A Death in Denmark by Amulia Maladi. It it wasn't a very well, I think, marketed book, so it wasn't out there the whole time. But it's really a, a it's a debut novel, and it's pretty impressive because it's, even though it's set in Denmark, um, it wasn't translated, it wasn't written in, in Danish, it was written in English. The author is a Danish citizen, but she was born in India, and she now lives in Los Angeles. So it's it's more of a noir, hard-boiled noir type of, of book. Um, and it introduces a very charming um, lead detective, um, Gabriel, Gabriel Perast. So he's a Kierkegaard-quoting, sharply-dressed detective who is also a jazz musician. Um, it's just, it's more tongue-in-cheek kind of hard-boiled crime rather than the gloomy Scandinavian thing you would expect. Um, so you almost get the idea that you shouldn't take it very seriously. So it's a really fun read, but it's re very well written. It has an excellent plot. Um, this writing style is typically, typically noir, so it's short sentences to the point, and it's peppered with one-liners. And I'm not going to go into the plot too much, because I'm sure you can Google that. That's fine. Um, but it's a really strong debut novel and I look forward to seeing what she does next because this is quite it was quite entertaining to read. Mm. Um, yeah. Fantastic. And that is a trend of, of having a bit of side of humour with our crime fiction, which is great because I actually think it highlights yeah. the, the serious issues even more because you're flipping between the comic and the serious. Mm. Sean, we're going to head to you now so you can give us your round three of best books. All right. I'm going to pick uh, for my list Gone to the Wolves by John Ray. And it is a, I like to call it a heavy metal mystery. It is about uh, a group of friends who were uh, active in the American metal scene, uh, which is, you know, quantified by <laughs> fast guitars, loud drums, mosh pits, slam dancing, all of that sort of subculture. And it is, uh, 
of the story of one of those friends that goes missing. And then over the years, as these friends separate and come back together, they still uh, are taunted by the mystery of their friend that went missing. And so one of the friends decides to figure out what happened to them. Um, it is, again, a story that is a mystery, a thriller, but also an incredible examination of a really interesting subculture that I once was a part of before I got, you know, before I had a good and bad knee. Uh, and so <laughs> it is really a wonderful exploration of that world and what it feels like to be young and 16 and jumping around inside of a performance venue with your friends while someone on stage screams unintelligible lyrics. Uh, I thought it was incredibly well-written, uh, beautifully paced, and I thought uh, it wasn't really promoted as a crime novel, but it really, it's it's a crime novel and everything but name. Uh, and I really loved it. And again, for me, it was a bit of nostalgia to go back to when I used to go uh, to this abandoned uh, tobacco warehouse, where as my uh, one of my friends said, you could catch death like a coal there. and But it was really sort of a, a walk down memory lane for me. So Gone to the Wolves by John Ray is my third pick. Love it. Thank you so much. And you had me at heavy metal crime, heavy metal noir. <laughs> you had me at that. <laughs> and feeling young again, actually. I'll go there as well. Now, Craig, <laughs> um, round three. Um, I don't know. Let me see. Actually, she got a little mentioned before, so let's talk about her again. I'm going to go with Ivy Pakoda's Sing Her Down. Mm -hmm. And she was mentioned, uh, Sonia mentioned her earlier, but we also mentioned her, I think, last time we did this for her book, These Women. And I also really loved her book uh, prior to that called Wonder Valley. Now, this is a kind of really interesting, it's kind of quite a slim thriller, um, but it's really outstanding. Ivy was just a terrific writer. And most of her earlier books are often like LA set, but this one's kind of more... Southwest. It, it was kind of in an Arizona woman's prison. And there's um two prisoners, kind of Dios and, and Florence, or also known as Florida. And Dios becomes kind of obsessed with Florida. And the story is kind of told by a prisoner later of this thing that happened. And during COVID, they they they, they kind of get let out early because of COVID. And but you know, so the world's a bit of a wasteland, you know, everyone's kind of semi in lockdown and things are going out. But Dios has become kind of obsessed with Florida for a variety of reasons. And it ends up to this kind of showdown on an empty L.A. street beside a mural. And I don't want to give too much away or anything, even though they talk about it at the start of the book. And it's just this really outstandingly written, tight, taut, gritty, female-focused thriller. It's kind of, I've seen other critics call it like it's kind of a little bit like No Country for Old Men, you know, kind of thing. I, um, I I can see why they say that with the Southwest thing and the grittiness and the violence and, and the kind of the, the sense of doom <laughs> and things like that. But I, Ivy's a different writer to Cormac, but she's brilliant in her own right in a, di in a different way. And I just highly, highly recommend any of her books, including this one, Sing Her Down. Thank you. Love that. And Io, round three. Um, I've just come to realise that also, like Craig, I think most of my... Um, favorite reasons here are male, and I'm going to go for another male author. And it is called the book is called um, Viper's Dream by Jake Lamar, and this was published by No Exit Press, and it's set in the 19 between the 1930s and 1960s um, Harlem, and it's about jazz, and it's about jazz characters, and it's about this history of jazz and what a lot of characters got up to, and specifically about a guy called um, Viper, and it's all about what he wanted, he hoped to do with his life, which basically goes downhill, and he gets involved in drugs. And if you've read any of the Ray Celestine um, um, books, jazz mystery books that came out a couple of years ago, then this is slightly reminiscent of it and but it also has such brilliant cameos from people like Miles Davis, John Coltrane, Thelonious Monk so if you're a jazz fan this is certainly a book to read but it also talks about the um issues because a lot of the jazz artists basically got involved in drugs and the effect it had on their music and the effect it had on their lives and this for me was one of those rather quirky and really books that 
some people knew about, but not a lot of people knew about. And it's such a shame because I thought it was so well written, the elements of jazz in it. And there's a slight element of noir in it as well. And it is, and the research about Harlem and the jazz scene was absolutely spot on. So for me, you know, Viper's Dream by Jake Lamar, definitely. Mm, I love it. I think this is why we do this. You know, we do this for the the books that everybody loved and got lots of attention, and we also do this for the littler books that didn't get a lot of attention. So we can hopefully bring them, bring them to readers who just love crime. So this is kind of like the secret crime society right here. <laughs> um, Sing her down is getting some love on uh, the live stream here from Bo and Christopher. So it's nice that audiences are resonating with what you're reading as well. Now for round four, everyone gets a go at being first. So Sean, you can steal everybody's thumb under this round well my fourth choice is the book that i enjoyed reading the most this year uh it's called lowdown road by scott von Doviak, and it is set in 1970s america around the time that evil knievel was attempting to jump the snake river and it is a wonderfully <laughs> yeah it's a wonderfully rollicking book about two cousins on the run from the police uh, I told someone when I recommended it, it's like the adaptation of a movie Burt Reynolds should have made. And it <laughs> invokes that sort of mid-70s, gritty, what we used to call a uh, redneck noir movie feel, uh, fast cars, big engines, uh, drugs, sex, violence, humor. Scott Mendovic really has a grasp on a certain period of time in America and sort of that the the end of the of the 60s the end of the flower power generation the emergence of the me generation uh and it's so incredibly well written so incredibly again well paced characters that you will both love and hate and care about and be frustrated by and um for me it was probably like i said the, i read it in like a day and a half it's a very quick read it's about 270 pages but he packs a lot of punch in those 270 pages so if you haven't read it seek out uh low down road it's put out by a uh, hard case crime so i don't know how uh, available it is around the world but in america you can get it pretty much on any uh service but yeah low down road really great gritty 70s era uh redneck noir novel Oh, I love I love the way you're describing mm -hmm. it, Sean. Cool. I've, I've written down the, the words that you've said, sensual, sumptuous, gritty, uh, humour, sex, drugs, and everyone, you know, online as well saying, yeah, low down road, fun was had. So <laughs> doing very well selling these books. I can guess who said that, but hi, bye. <laughs> <laughs> now, Craig, number two, you're getting back up into the line now. You can steal the thunder of others round four. What oh, so many, so many good books. I was actually hoping some people would steal some of my other ones. Yeah, the whole, the first round wiped out four of my top choices. Plenty of bingo. I'm, kind of I'm kind of wanting people to take other ones, otherwise I'm not going to get through them all. I'm I'm gonna do this one though because I think it, it it's recently won the Irish Crime Novel of the Year. It probably doesn't really need any more attention, but it is an outstanding book, and she's an outstanding person. So Liz Nugent, Strange Sally Diamonds by Liz Nugent. Liz Nugent uh, we, yeah. We've we've raved about Liz and, and past uh, things with our little cruelties, I believe, when we did it first in lockdown. This is just a really terrific book. It's a kind of it's a little bit hard to describe this book. I mean, it, it'll kind of get planked into the psychological thriller uh, subgenre, though some people might question whether it's really a psychological thriller. It's almost just like a deep character study of a neurodivergent woman who is trying to kind of re-embrace life after the man who's effectively been her father for the life she remembers passes away. And uh, she tries to burn his body and and the incinerator because that's what he jokingly told her one day and she took it seriously and things like that and and then it just kind of cascades into her reconnecting with people starting to remember some of the horrid things that had happened in her life before this man and his wife took her in when she was young and then a character from her past comes back so there are certainly thriller aspects and there's a lot of this threat but it's almost like just like a really incredibly deep character study of this um I don't want to say strange, but yeah, this unusual woman, this neurovergent uh, woman, Sally Diamond. The title is Strange Sally Diamond. Yeah, well, I guess I can't <laughs> call her that since Liz has. 
And um, and as a bonus, a little bit of it happens in Rotorua, New Zealand, because Liz actually was inspired to write it when she was visiting New Zealand before COVID. It's not why I picked it. I picked it because it's an outstanding book, and everyone should read everything that Liz Nugent writes, including Strange Society. I was about to say, it's not a panel with you on it, Craig, unless you mention Liz. So <laughs> it did not disappoint. <laughs> Yeah, I was kind of hoping I might have snuck that one and I could have got someone else in. But, yeah. <laughs> Our tastes do sometimes diverge, Craig. You do realise yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Io, you're up next. So hit us with your uh, round robin number four. I'm actually going to go for a female author. And um, I'm a very big Chandler fan. And, you know, it's um, Farewell, My Lovely is one of my favourite Chandler books. But Denise Mina did... The second murderer. <laughs> you see, go. I was coin tossing between this and Liz. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You see, and it was absolutely stunningly good. You know, it's hard when um, an estate says to you, "We want you to continue a series," and people will always start picking holes in and say, "You're not doing it as well as the original author." And for me, Denise managed to do this: the one-liners, the snappy dialogue the sense of place. And I mean, if you haven't read, Denise just manages to write in such a fantastic way. And in all her previous books, she's always, always been on my, one of my favorite authors. But with this book, I think she has managed to amaze, well, she certainly amazed me when I read it. Cause I was apprehensive when I started reading it, whether or not I was going to like it. But I thought that she manages to bring you back straight into that period of when Raymond Chandler was writing the Marla books. Just absolutely spot on. And for, I mean, I've seen elsewhere, people have saying, well, why did they get a woman to write it? It doesn't matter. She's got all the dialogue down pat. She's got all the sense of play. She's got what's happening to Marlo down pat. And it is just a really good way of introducing Philip Marlowe to a new generation. So if you've read this, The Second Murderer, I suggest you go back and read the earlier ones because this is a bloody good book and Denise has done everybody who likes Raymond Chandler proud in the way in which this book has been written. Gorgeous, love that. Now, I hate to tell you, we're about to head to round five. So your last book, although you can do some honourable mentions if there are some you just cannot not mention, so I'll let you get your thoughts together for about 10 seconds. Last book, last round. You can mention more than one book if you need to. Um, just looking at the people online here, loving books that uh, push boundaries, loving Blacktop Wasteland. Someone's called you a legend, Sean. So a bit more love for you in the chat. Uh, so we're going to head over for the last round. We're going to start We're going to start with the legend amongst us, uh, Sean. So <laughs> if you want to give us well, your right. last and final book, and you can sneak in another one if you like to. For my last book, I will talk about a true legend. Uh, it is uh, Walter Mosley's Every Man a King. Uh, and is this, uh, his Joe King Tolliver character. And this book really challenged me as a reader because the plot of it is uh, Joe King Tolliver's saintly, beautiful African-American grandmother. He's an African-American man, is dating an older, rich, wealthy white man who is a staunch free speech absolutist. And he wants Joe King to investigate uh, the case against a white supremacist who has been jailed wow. under some nebulous Patriot Act sort of enemy of the state type uh, uh, ruling. And he wants to invest. He wants Joe to investigate the crime, help this man preserve free speech as we know. it. And of course, there's more to the story than that. But what I thought was so incredible and in the hands of a master like Walter Mosley, it really does challenge you as a reader because this isn't a white supremacist who's repentant. This isn't a white supremacist who's seen the light. He is a repugnant, horrible character. And it really tests Joe King's uh, morals and his morality and his uh, commitment to the truth. Uh, I, I, I had the really great pleasure of speaking with Walter earlier this year at Thriller Fest in New York City. And he was talking about this book. And he said something that really stuck with me as I read it. He said, everybody likes to think they have morals until they're tested. Mm -hmm. And Joe King gets incredibly tested in this book. And it sort of make you, makes, makes you ask yourself the question, 
How committed are you to the truth? How committed are you to your principles when those principles are put in opposition to someone you cannot stand, someone you find uh, obnoxious and horrible? And I thought he just was able to do it in a way that I don't know any other writer working today could have done it. And it is not only a great examination of morality and honesty and truth and the the mystery aspect of it is again a crackerjack. So every man is a, every man is a king. Uh, Walter Mosley is an amazing. You know, it, again, he once again proves why he's one of the greatest of all time. Uh, as a added bonus, uh, I'm going to throw in a little book uh, from a small company here in America. Uh, Payback is Forever by Nick Kolowoski. It's another throwback novel set in the mid '60s uh, with a very Parker-esque character. Uh, if anybody knows Parker, uh, Donald Westlake's uh, creation when he was writing his Richard Stark. But this character is somewhat like Parker with a conscience, somewhat like Parker if he was having an existential crisis. I really love the book. It's a fast read, 240 pages, um, but it's violent, it's bloody, it's beautifully written. The prose it leaps off the page. Um, like I said, it's from a small company, so you may have to seek it out. I don't know how available it is around the world, but if you do find it, it's well worth your time. And so, and thank you guys for having me on here. This was great. I love that. And a few things that I sort of pick out there because crime readers, we're all very strange because I love how you said violent, bloody, and beautiful. I'm like, yeah. And all crime <laughs> readers are going, yeah. So we're a special kind of, uh, kind of breed of people, I think. And also you're saying, um, you know, about the morality. And I love that about crime fiction as well, is that it does question us. We always say, oh, yes, we do this, unless our child's lives are at stake or unless, you know, something, you know, really is at stake for us. And so it's funny that you can never say I'm absolutely going to do this. And I think the characters in crime fiction allow us to explore those what ifs. And I think that's such a great thing in crime fiction as well. So we're going to head over to you for our final, final round. Um, yes, I think the next one is uh, The Golden Gate. I've seen this on a few lists recently. Um, Amy Chua. Um, so it's basically on the surface, it seems like a golden classic, golden age mystery inspired crime novel. Uh, it's a well-known well -known politician that's murdered in a fancy hotel in San Francisco and a socialite from a wealthy, influential family is one of the suspects. But it's really well written. It avoids the typical cliches of the mystery and crime fiction set in the 1920s that you sometimes get. Um, it also depicts San Francisco during a, a really interesting time. Um, uh, it's, it's a time of transition and it also shows quite a bit of the, the lives of the immigrants during that time span and uh, it highlights the social issues that went with this. Um, it also has a main protagonist who struggles to reconcile his Mexican Jewish um, heritage with the police work he needs to do, which is an interesting angle that I particularly enjoyed and found interesting. Um, she's mostly known for a non-fiction work, so this is her first fiction debut, um, but I mean, one can see that she's a really accomplished writer, she knows, um, she understands the political and the social climate of the time, uh, so she works it really well into the book and into the narrative. Um, it's, uh, it's a pretty impressive debut and uh, yeah, I can really recommend it. Um, other book that I would like to quickly just mention, I'm not going to say a lot about it, but it's it was just off the radar. Um, is something bad wrong by Eric Pruitt? Um, the next one in the series comes out this next year, I think. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, he just writes wonderfully hard-boiled, dark. <laughs> I've also noticed that most of the books that I've read this year that went to the top five are American authors, which is unusual mm -hmm. for me because I'm usually the Scandinavian person that reads <laughs> translated stuff. So something's changing. I don't know what it is, mm -hmm. but um, I also enjoyed that quite a bit. He's a screenwriter and you can always notice when someone's a screenwriter and they, they, they start writing crime fiction. There's just a different way of looking at things and being more descriptive and it just comes alive more. So I can highly recommend Something Bad Wrong by Eric Pruitt as well. Fantastic. Thanks. Thank you so much. And Io, last round, what have you got for us? Uh, right. The first one I want to mention is the book called, and it leans towards my nerdiness, my love of historical crime fiction. It's called um, The Lost Diary of Samuel Pepys by 
Jack Dewars. And Jack is kind of like a screenwriter and does plays. But this is about what would have happened if Samuel Pepys hadn't stopped writing his diary. And it is absolutely wonderful. There's a great sense of place. There's the historical aspect about it. And you have to think back to what was going on during that period when Samuel Pepys was actually writing his diary. But he's, he's, there's a mystery behind it as well. So it's not solely just the, the diaries. I mean, if you've read the original diaries of Samuel Pepys, then you'll understand. But this is kind of like a follow-on with um, you know, a, a mystery taking place where he investigates a crime that goes on. And then very, very quickly, my next one, which goes back to the, kind of like the trends that I was talking about earlier, is called Master's Guide to Homicide by R Rupert Holmes. Mm. And it's all about this um, school where you've got these students and the way you graduate is by killing someone mm. and getting away with it. Right. And it is set... And the way it is set out is like it's a textbook. So you've got kind of like um, diary extracts and you've got explanatory notes and stuff like that. And it is and it's very unconventional, but it's got lots of gore and lots of puns. And it's got a lot of gallows humour, but it's incredibly, incredibly brilliant to read. And I'm hoping I don't think there could be a sequel to it because the way in which it's written but it just reminds me of the fact that we've got these all these books coming out now where people are finding ingenious and different ways of killing people and getting away with them, <laughs> like killing their sisters or the mm. members of their family and stuff like that. Um, so it's a wonderful book. So that's it. The Master's Guide to Homicide by R R Rupert Holmes and um, The um, Lost Diary of Samuel Pepys. Wow. Sounds intriguing. <laughs> It's a bit Hunger Games. <laughs> Craig, final round for you. Well, I'm just, I'm just kind of impressed by how everyone's been so restrained and only doing one honourable mention when in the past we've done a quick fire five or six honourable mentions. Well, I've got more. You know, there's not enough time. I, I can't mention all of these. <laughs> no, you can't. William Vassim Khan. Shelley Burt, you cannot go wrong with any of these wonderful authors here. All of these books are outstanding, as are many of their others. And I feel awful that I'm not actually going to be like highlighting an Australian New Zealand book, though um, Shelley, Chris and Vanda or Aussies and Kiwis there and their books are must-reads. But I have to, I have to, have to, have to highlight this book because it's a late contender for my best book of the year. It's kind of extended my three or four book knife fight of some of the books we mentioned in the first round and a couple of others <laughs> for my book of the year. And yet again, it's another American male. And I think that's probably the point I was trying to make at the start. It wasn't just male authors, it was American male authors are really mm. dominating this year for me. Dark Ride by Lou Burney. We have been waiting for a new book from Lou Burney for five years since his outstanding November Road, which won a whole ton of awards all over the world, um, in the UK and the US and elsewhere. This is a very slim but incredibly powerful thriller. It's a sublime thriller about a man called Hardly Reed or Hardy Hardly Reed, who's a, basically a pot-smoking worker at the local Scare amusement park. And he sees a couple of kids that he thinks are being abused by their dad and kind of goes against his character to actually insert himself and try and help them. And it just opens all sorts of problems. Lou is a wonderful writer. We've been waiting five years for this, and it's well, well worth it. And it's in a knife fight with Sean and Dennis and some others for my book of the year, Eli, as well. Um, Liz, there's some outstanding books, but I couldn't, I couldn't not highlight Dark Ride by Lou Burney. It's only recently come out. Make sure you get your hands on it. It's fucking fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. Very concise, Craig. Very, very restrained, even though you did hold up a stack of books. Uh, now, before we go, there's just one last question I want to ask, but I think this has been so fabulous for crime writers who can pick this up on Facebook Live. They can see our faces or they can do it on the podcast while they're making lunch or uh, going for their walk with their dog. But we are beaming into you from Sydney, London, Kent, Virginia, South Africa, and covering the four continents with the four critics. So it's been 
absolutely wonderful and i really love how this increases my reading list because we've got some holidays soon hopefully all of us have some leave and we can get stuck into the bloody gritty violent Mm. beautiful uh sensual sumptuous crime that's been mentioned here today i do want to ask you one last question though 2024 what are you looking forward to whether it's an author a genre a trend a book what do you Mm. want to see or what are you hoping to Mm. see uh sonia i might throw to you first Ooh, um, I've just flagged a few books that come out next year, a few authors. So it looks pretty impressive so far, and I haven't even looked at everything. There's a new James Lee Burke out, I think. There's a new Don Winslow out. There's a new Lee Goldberg, Eve Ronan series out, I think in January. Um, Stuart Turton, Last Murder at the End of the of the World is coming up later next year. Um, George Pelicanos. And then I mentioned mm. the Eric Pruitt as well. Mm. So, and then there's also a John Lindstrom Hollywood hustle. Apparently, yeah, he's an actor, so he's, he's trying some fiction. I don't know how this will be, but I look forward to seeing what he does. Excellent. We so can that's my list. Look forward to also, talking um, about all these next year. <laughs> yes. See how many make the list. Sean, what about you? Uh, what are you looking forward to or hoping to see in 2024? A uh, couple things. I'm hoping to see more uh, female rural noir writers uh, like Laura McHugh. Uh, you could put uh, uh, Megan Lucas in that group. Uh, I'm hoping to see more stuff from them. Uh, two books that I'm anticipating uh, next year. One is um, Don't Let the Devil Ride by Ace Atkins. Uh, I was privileged to read a, uh advanced copy of that, and it, it is going to blow your socks off. It's an incredible, again, very uh, atmospheric, down-home Memphis, Memphis, uh, Tennessee mystery with an incredibly interesting cast of characters and Ace's unique observations about that region. He lives in Mississippi, which is like an hour away from Memphis, and there's something very unique about the, the blues and Faulkner and the ghost of, of, of the Southern past that he evokes incredibly well there. Um, the other book I'm looking forward to, and... Uh, I guess since we're not in rounds, I can steal a little thunder. Is I'm also looking ahead to Eric Pruitt's next book, Blood Red Summer. Uh, the Jess Keeler mm-hmm. series is remarkable, mm-hmm. and I think Eric uh, tapped into something really special there. So I'm looking forward to both of those books. Fantastic! Lots to look forward to. Io, what's on your? What are you looking out for in 2024? Well, Sonia's really mentioned one of them. That's the new George Pelicanos. But the other book I'm looking forward to is the new Attica Lock. Oh, uh, I can't wait true. for that to come out. Um, I managed. I was at an event recently with her pub, UK publishers, and they were they were talking about it. So we've gone far too long without a book from mm-hmm. Attica. So when the new one comes out, I will be pushing it up my um, TBR pile. I don't care what else I'm going to be reading, but yeah, the article look almost like the jump to the head of the list. Followed by- <laughs> yeah. Love that. Love getting excited for things that are coming out. Craig, what about you? What are you looking forward to or hoping to see in 2024? Well, I'm, I'm adding the Attica Lock one to my list because I was actually just going to say anything that if Attica Lock puts something out, I'll, I'll read that. Um, when Sean spoke about uh, female rural crime writers, because she wrote some pretty outstanding female rural crime fiction. Um, I am really looking forward to Eli Craner's new one, Broiler. Um, we spoke about him with Ozark Dogs and also Don't Know Tough. I've actually recently received an e-galley and I've been saving it for my Christmas break, so I'll be diving into that in the next couple of days. Uh, yeah, the new James Lee Burke, of course. Um, yeah, this, uh, I also, I've, this is one I've already read, but I would advise people to keep an eye out for it. It doesn't come out until next year. It's called Missing White Woman by Kelly Garrett. And Kelly's mm-hmm. fantastic. It, uh, she brings like a a single black woman urban perspective to domestic noir, which is often about kind of married white women and the middle class and stuff. And she brings a really interesting, fresh perspective of that. She's a hell of a writer. She's won awards for kind of her cozy-esque mysteries set in Hollywood, but now also she writes psychological thrillers, kind of bringing a female single black perspective to. Um, she's written a couple of great ones and yeah, Missing White Woman um, comes out next year. I've already read it. It's great. I'm looking forward to chatting about it. Um, just to throw something Kiwi in, uh, this book, this is the American cover, Bed of the Blood by Michael mm. Bennett, who's a Maori author, just won our Naya Marsh Award for Best yeah. First Novel. 
and it's, okay. this is the US cover. It's out in a lot of countries. He's got a sequel coming out next year called Return to Blood, which Ooh. I'm super excited about. It was the same character, Hannah Westerman, a female Maori cop. He's the first Maori, he's the first Indigenous author in New Zealand to write an Indigenous series crime character. So, and it's a hell of a writer and screenwriter. Yeah, and then James Lee Burke, and I mean, God, <laughs> why would you not read James Lee Burke? <laughs> you know, kind of I, I had some arguments with people in the early days of being a reviewer of like the whole literary versus genre thing, and, and someone, you know, once said things like, you know, if you if someone says that crime fiction isn't great writing for a Dennis Lehane book at them, and where would you say, just push a shelf of James Lee Burke on top of them? <laughs> yes, that's a very good analogy, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we have covered a lot of ground. We've had many, many books, a couple of bingos, uh, some trends in 2023, what we're looking forward to in 24, and we've come to you, four critics, four continents from around the world to discuss uh, the favourite 2023 crime weeks with the best people to know about all of this stuff and I love how we've celebrated really big authors and things have got lots of attention and the smaller books that needed a bit more attention so I love how we've covered all of that and coming from all different time zones uh, what a wonderful experience for all crime readers and crime fiction lovers so thank you so much everybody for your time if you're at home watching thank you for joining us and thank you for the comments you can keep watching this this will stay on the Words and Nerds Facebook page if you want to see our faces or if you just want to listen to us while you're taking the dog for a walk it will be available on the Words and Nerds podcast later today so thank you so much everybody for your time always fascinating and now i'm going to go uh book shopping so i'm sure everyone else is going to as well thank you so much everybody Bye.